Well, good morning, uh, Christ Community. How how y'all doing? Good, good. Happy New Year. Uh, I promise not to talk about the game if you don't. Okay, so let's just let's just get that over with. Uh, it's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Reed Capel. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, if you are new, if you're a guest, we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, excited to be with you uh, this morning. And um, and th- you know, this isn't a show of hands question. This is just a rhetorical question to consider. But you know, who here who here feels like they have just too much time on their hands. You know, anybody feel, I just, I'm just, got all this time, uh, or, or if that's not you, maybe, maybe this question, uh, who here feels like they're really good with money, they've got a good grasp on the balance of possessions and finances, like they're doing that really well? You know, or, or maybe the third question is, who here just feels like they need to spend more quality time with their, their cell phone? Like, I just, I just need that, you know, I'm missing that, you know, some us time. Uh, I mean, th- this is a safe place, and so we can admit we all struggle with these kind of three categories of life when it comes to time, when it comes to money and finances, our possessions, and when it comes to our attention, when it comes to our devices and what captures our attention. And we think about it, I mean, and, and these are all good things. I mean, time is a precious commodity, and yet I find myself either wasting it or being burdened by it. Or when we think about money and possessions, I mean, these are things that are central to life, and yet I find myself making them too often the center of my life, that they dictate other things in my life. Or, or when we think about our devices, our smartphones, like, I mean, we have this ability, these tools to kind of make life more productive and easy, and yet we find ourselves more stressed and overworked and distracted. And, and my guess is that you probably feel similarly about one, if not all, of these categories, that you struggle with time and schedules and calendars. You find yourself enslaved to finance and possessions. You, you find it difficult to really focus and pay attention because of all of the distractions in our world and our culture, which is exactly why we wanted to spend a few weeks in the beginning of 2018 in this short little sermon series called Simply Different. And, and what we want to do in this series is look at what I believe is the compelling life that Jesus invites us into that speaks a, a kind of a, a more compelling narrative to the narrative that typically defines and describes our lives, a narrative of, of being overworked, overstressed, overburdened, overindulged. And what we're going to see in this brief series is that what Jesus invites us into is something different. It's something simpler. It's something more beautiful. And what we're going to do this morning is focus our time, no, no pun intended, um, on this issue of time. How do we think about what is our relationship to time? How do we manage it? How do we avoid and guard ourselves from the tyranny of the urgent and this hurried, busy life that we all find ourselves living? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we jump in, I, I want to pray for our time together uh, as we continue on. So let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we we come to you in prayer uh, because we need you, Lord, because we need your wisdom and truth. Lord, we we don't know how to lead and manage our lives perfectly, Uh, and so we need truth, we need your guidance. And so, Lord, I ask that this time truly would be fruitful and edifying, that, that you would form us and shape us, that you would give us a wisdom that comes from you and not just from us. And so, Lord, bless the teaching of your word. And may you form us and shape us to be people who reflect your goodness and character. We pray this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. 
So, uh, Simply Different Time is what we're focusing in on this morning. And, and what I want us to, to look at and consider is that we, we have a very peculiar relationship to time as humans. I mean, we find ourselves wanting to kill time as well as needing to make time. You know, we, we, we experience time flying by and standing still. We, we want time to slow down in some situations. We want it to speed up. And we, and we also have this kind of peculiar relationship to time when, it, when we consider our own mortality. I mean, you know, time is kind of this reminder that there is a time that is coming when our time will come to an end. And, and, and it's interesting because before the advent of the watch, you know, the way humans told time was by the sun, and then subsequently through the, the, the invention of the sundial. And just doing a little bit of research, what I've found is that throughout human history, in all different cultures, from, from China to Europe to Asia, like all these different places, sundials typically would have some kind of motto inscribed upon them. And what I found is that more often than not, the mottos inscribed on these sundials are really like despairing and like negative. And like these are just a few that, are, that have been inscribed on various sundials throughout the human history, throughout the, throughout the world. This one is great. Look upon the hour and remember death. Isn't that, isn't that uplifting? Uh, this one, uh, as time and hours passeth away, so doth the life of man decay. That's just, uh, it's just Dr. Susie, isn't it? It's very nice. And then my favorite, I did nothing good today, the day is lost. It's just like, like that's great. I just, I just put that on a poster. But like, it's just interesting. I mean, can you imagine like Apple coming out with their watch like on the back inscribed, it says, I did nothing good today, the day is lost. Like, it's just a weird way to think about time, but... In all honesty, we do have a strange relationship to time. We don't know how to manage time well. We don't know how to think about time. It overwhelms us. And so I want us to think about this question. What does it mean to make the most of our time? How do we guard ourselves from the tyranny of the urgent and the hurried life that we find ourselves living so often? And one of the things I find interesting when we, when we talk about time and schedules and plans and calendars we tend to use this word that actually really humans haven't used really for the last, it's really been the last like 50 or so years, the word priorities, plural, which like by, by I mean like that by definition, like that doesn't make sense. Like how can you have priorities? That's like saying I have three favorite flavors of ice cream. Like I have four best friends. Like my daughter Lula has like nine best friends. Like that doesn't even logically make sense, you know? But there is a sense. You can't have multiple favorites. You can't have multiple bests. You can't have multiple priorities. There is one priority. There should be one priority. And so when we talk about our schedule and time, we tend to talk about our priorities, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense because there ought to be one priority that then shapes and influences these other aspects of our lives. And, and, and furthermore, I mean, like, if we have priorities, how many should we have? Like three, seven, a baker's dozen? Like, like, wh like what's the order? What's the number of priorities? And who is to say which one is more important? And at what time is one more important than the other? How do we determine what is of the greatest importance in our lives. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to look at this, it's seemingly a very simple idea or phrase that I want us to unpack as we look at a parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 14. But this simple idea, it may sound pragmatic, but I think, it, I think it's very profound. And it's this, it's that you can't have priorities without a priority which sounds really simple, I know, but, but like you can't have priorities without a priority. 
And that's what we're going to look at as we turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. And, and actually, I invite us to stand as we, as we read from God's Word to hear Jesus' teaching from this parable. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, um, th- there's a lot to unpack in this parable, uh, but what I want us to see, that, and I think what Jesus is getting at, is I, I think he really is speaking to this issue of, of priorities and what, how we think about what is more important in life and how do we guard ourselves from being busy and distracted by lesser things. And then the first thing I want us to look at in the parable is in what Jesus is teaching us. He's showing us this, this invitation that is extended the importance and the value of this invitation extended. Now, in, in this time, in this culture, it was customary when someone was throwing a party, a banquet, a wedding feast, uh, they would send two rounds of invitations. The first invitation went to all of the invited guests, announcing the details of the party, letting them know you are invited, you are a part of our, our group, our community, we want you there. Uh, and, so, and then the second invitation came later on the day of the party, announcing the party's here, it's ready, come on in. So the first invitation was kind of like a, like a save-the-date card you get for a wedding. You know, the card that you throw away, but you claim you lost, you know. Um, that's what I do with them. Uh, but um, I'll never be invited to a wedding at this point, I think. But, but the, the first one just gives you the general details, lets you know you are invited. The second invitation comes announcing the party is ready. And, and in some ways, I feel like, I feel like in our, our culture, we don't really value invitations as much. I mean, I mean how many of us get like, so many notifications about various events that we're invited to, uh, and we just ignore them on Facebook. How many evites hit our email inbox and we just put them to spam? Like, we don't really value invitations that much. But, but in this day, I mean, to be invited to a banquet was a huge deal. I mean, it was an expression of, of love and appreciation and respect, so much so that, I mean, it was virtually unheard of. That, I mean, if you were invited to a banquet, if you got that first invitation, you showed up. I mean, it was basically unheard of for someone to not show up to the party if they were invited. And what I want us to see is what Jesus is trying to show is that this invitation, this banquet, it's a huge deal. And the metaphor Jesus is using with this parable and the host is he is equating himself to the host. He is equating the kingdom of God that we are invited into through Christ to this banquet feast. Jesus is saying, I am this great host. My kingdom is this banquet feast. And he has invited us to join him in this banquet, in this kingdom, in this life that I believe we all long for. A life of wholeness, a life of forgiveness and redemption. 
A life that empowers us and equips us to be people who live lives of justice and compassion and mercy and grace. But what we see is that this good life that I believe we long for, and I believe that it's the life that Jesus is inviting us to, is a life that we far too often are too busy for. And that's exactly what I think Jesus is showing us as he continues on in the parable by unpacking these these excuses that are given by the various guests. And, And the text even says that all of the invited guests actually declined and refused to come to the party the day of the party. And Jesus shows a few of the examples. The the first two are very similar. One guy says, I have to go and see about a piece of land that I purchased. Please have me excused. Which is kind of ridiculous because like in an an agrarian society, like no one would purchase land without doing their due diligence and knowing what they're getting. I mean, a land purchase was huge. No one would just like kind of purchase land willy-nilly. Or who says willy-nilly anymore? Anyway, but but no one would make that purchase just randomly. They would do their due diligence to make sure what they were doing was wise. It, it would be like, like you today, like buying your dream home that you're going to spend the rest of your life in purely based on the description of your realtor. Like if you're listening to your realtor and she's saying, oh, it's beautiful, you're going to love it, and you base your decision only on her testimony, that's, that's absurd, right? No one would do that. That's such a huge investment. No one would make that decision. Similarly, the, the second guest says, I've got to go, uh, I, I purchased five yoke of oxen. I have to go examine them. And so this guy gives another lame excuse. Like he wouldn't have made this purchase without knowing what he's getting into. And frankly, he's turning down a party to go examine oxen. I don't even know what that entails, but it's not fun, I'm sure. Uh, but the third excuse, which is interesting, it has this appearance of legitimacy, but it's actually very indecent. It's very rude. You see, this third guy says, I can't come because I'm married, which sounds like he's saying, my wife won't let me go to the party, but that's not what he's saying. He's actually referring to, uh, in the Mosaic Law, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, there was this policy given that when a man was married, he was absolved of any civic responsibilities for his first year of marriage. But that was typically in reference to, like, military responsibilities, And so this guy is actually distorting the Mosaic law to try to get out of this guy's party. He's like, I can't go, I'm married, and so I'm just not going to go to your party. And he doesn't even, like, give the decency of saying, please have me excused like the first two guys. This guy just says, I'm not going, deal with it. And, and, And the thing I want us to think about, when you hear these excuses, and again, Jesus says, all of the invited guests declined the party the day of the party. I want you to put yourself in the shoes or the sandals, if you will, of this guest, of this host. And just think, I mean, what would you conclude about all of these guests that you've invited? All of these people who are your supposed friends, all these people who have had ample time to prepare and plan, and the day of the party, I mean, you've booked the band, the caterer, you've got this sweet DJ, like everything is ready, and now all of a sudden, everyone the day of the party backs out with lame excuses. You would not only conclude that your friends are terrible planners and should really get on Google Calendar, but you would conclude they don't value your relationship. They don't prioritize you as a person, and they don't care much about your banquet. In this parable, the guests are allowing the busyness of lesser things to keep them from what Jesus is saying is the greatest thing. They are allowing lesser priorities to determine and and dictate how their lives are to be lived. 
And this is really the, the third point and the, the thrust of the parable that Jesus is getting at here. The point that Jesus is making is that we may give these excuses, but there is a priority that is needed so that we might know how to govern and live our lives. Now, whether or not these men are lying, whether or not these excuses are legitimate, what is clear and what Jesus is showing us is that they are choosing something over and above the host and his banquet. They are saying, something is more important to me than you and your party. Or to put it another way, the guests basically are saying, I have, I have a greater priority that dictates and determines everything else, and your banquet is not on that list. I'm sorry. And so these guests, they're claiming that they're too busy, that they have too important things to do, but, but really, it isn't because they're too busy. It's because the host and his banquet are not that important. They don't make the cut. Something else is of greater importance. Something else is of a greater priority. And if we're honest, that's, that's how and why you and I say yes and no to things. We say yes and no to things for the most part because it's not that important or we're choosing this over that. I mean, we make excuses, and, and, and there may be some veneer of it, you know, of legitimacy to it, but we exaggerate it, much like the man saying, I can't, I'm married. He's adding to this excuse to get out of it. Why? Because he's choosing something else over and above the host in his banquet. And so perhaps, and here's what I want us to consider, perhaps part of the reason that you and I struggle with time, with feeling overworked, overwhelmed, overstressed, and just overcommitted Perhaps our problem is that we don't know how to prioritize. And perhaps the reason we don't know how to prioritize is because we don't even know what our priority is. Again, I, I think that we can't have priorities. It is foolish to talk about priorities in life if we don't even have or know or understand what the priority is that puts everything else in line and in order. And so think about that for yourselves, just in all honesty right now. What is the one overarching, foundational, cornerstone priority that drives you, that, that determines how you make decisions in life? What is it that puts everything else in place? And I'm not talking about the one you give lip service to. I'm talking about what is it that functionally orders your loves, orders your life? What is it that occupies your mind, your time, your money? Where do your thoughts go? What is it that dictates your life? And in this parable, Jesus, what I believe he's doing is presenting himself as the greatest priority. He's not just a priority or a good in life. He is the priority. He is the greatest good in life. And to settle for anything less than him is not just wrong, but it's actually putting us in a place where we are going to misorder everything else in our lives. To live for anything less than the greatest good, even if it's not Jesus. Let's say you just put Jesus to the side. If, if we recognize and know there's some great good in life, and to live for something less than that is not only foolish, but it puts us on a trajectory where we will either be empty at best or corrupt at worst because it will lead to a misordering of our loves. And we all know that we all know there's an ordering to love. We all know that there's a priority to certain things. I mean, think about it. Like, if I love Netflix more than exercise, my body will suffer. That's true. I think that's in Proverbs. Uh, but uh, but if, if, I love my, 
If I love my friends more than my children, my family suffers. If I love my children more than my wife, my marriage suffers. We all know this. We all know there's an order to our loves. The question is, what is it that sets the standard? What is the priority that determines and dictates the rest of our priorities in life? And what I believe Jesus is doing in this parable is saying, I am the greatest priority. And if you live for me, everything else seems to fall in place. It doesn't mean your life is carefree and perfect. But to live for anything less misorders our loves. You see, we all find ourselves living for something, fundamentally, above all. And and really, the word is worship. We all worship something. The question is, what is it? And is it the right thing? And will it order our loves properly? There's there's this phenomenal essay by C.S. Lewis, uh, Oxford uh, professor, atheist, uh, became Christian. He has an essay called First Things and Second Things. And in the essay, he says this, The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses, in the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog keeping. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things by only putting first things first. And I love what he's saying. If if you're wanting something that, that should not be in the first place category, the way you get it is not making it the most important thing because that disorders everything else. And we all know that there is an order to our loves. The question is, are we ordering them correctly, and do we even know how to order them? We're all going to live for something. We're all going to prioritize something. The question is, is it the right thing? The, uh, the, the late American novelist, his name is uh, David Foster Wallace, uh, he was not a Christian. Uh, he passed away a number of years ago. Uh, but he gave a commencement speech at Kenyon College in 2005 And in it, he talks about this very concept of of we're all going to live our lives for something. And he has some very profound words. He says this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, then you will never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay, and so on, and so on. And then he goes on to say this, and this is really helpful. He says, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Again, the the point that he's making is it's not that living for these things is wrong and bad. It's not because they are wrong and bad. But, But what David Foster Wallace recognizes, not being a Christian, is that there is an order to our loves and that we must live for the right thing above all else. Otherwise, things fall apart. We all live our lives, we fill our calendars, we, we cram our time and our schedules, and we set our priorities based on what our underlying and fundamental priority is. And the odds are that we may not even fully be aware of what the priority is that we're living for. And so again, the question I want us to consider is, is it possible that the reason you and I struggle with time and busyness and hurried lives 
is because we don't know how to prioritize? And is it possible that we don't know how to prioritize because we don't have the right priority? And so in this parable, what Jesus is doing, I believe, is he is extending an invitation to us. And he is saying, I am the greatest good in life. I'm inviting you to join me in my banquet, in my kingdom, in the life that you deep down long to live. And this invitation is not just one among many. It is the invitation. It is the life. It is the greatest good to be with Jesus in his kingdom, on mission with him, is the greatest good. But the question is, are are we too distracted by lesser things to even respond? Have we set a priority over and above Jesus, over and above the greatest good that has led to us having a busy, overwhelmed, overstretched, overindulged life? And do we find ourselves offering lame excuse after lame excuse, settling for second things and trying to put them in that first place category? So what does it look like to have the right priority that allows us to set the rest of our priorities in place? Let me, let me offer a few things for us to consider. And, and, and what, I, what I want us to see is, what I, I think what Jesus is getting at is that when, when we think about our priorities in life, we have to have the priority. And so let me offer just some, some practices needed. What, what, are, what are some ways we can think about this practically? And, and, and before I say it, let me, let me first say that um, when we talk about trying to simplify our time and schedules, trying to be less busy, I'm not advocating that we, we become lazy. I'm not trying to say, let's stop being productive and producing and being fruitful. I mean, that's, that's clear in Scripture. We are called to be fruitful and produce. But the question is, are we, are we setting our schedules, are we setting our time and setting our priorities correctly in a way that allows us to live our lives wisely, creating margin for others? It's not about trying to make life easy and simple. It's not about trying to eliminate responsibility, but rather is putting us into a place where we are able to have margin to be more faithful and fruitful in the places God has called us. So the first thing is this, is I, and, and this is true for Christians and non-Christians, is we have to first identify what our priority is. Identify what your priority is. And, and, and here's what I would say, just very honestly, frankly, when I ask the question, what is it that you're living your life for? What is your greatest priority in life? What is that gut reaction? What is your gut response to that question? And you might be surprised what that response is. And what I would encourage you to do is ask that question of someone you know, of someone you trust, someone you're close to. And maybe if you're, if you're brave, ask them to answer the question for you. Ask them to say, hey, what do you see in my life? What is the priority of my life? As you look at the way I spend my time, my money, my energy, my thoughts, what is my priority? And you see, we all have the one, again, we give lip service to, but, but I want us to identify what is the functional priority? What is it that fills our time, fills our mind, fills our bank accounts? And is it the right one? Or, or, or is it what David Foster Wallace says, is it something that's going to eat us alive? So identify your your priority. Secondly, we need to learn how to eliminate hurry. We need to learn how to eliminate hurry. uh, Dallas Willard, uh, he's a late uh, USC uh, philosophy professor, also a Christian author, thinker. Uh, He was giving advice to a very influential leader. And this leader was basically saying, hey, what, what, what do I need to do to be a more effective, more productive leader in my context? And what Willard said to him was was really helpful. He says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so so he, he, you know, this leader wrote it down. He's like, okay, good, good. Okay, what else? What's next? 
and, and <laughs> like very, very hurriedly. And, and Willard just said, that's it. I mean, that, like, that, that's it. That, that's how you seek to create margin. That's how you seek to be more productive and fruitful and faithful. We are so stressed and overworked and hurried. I, I, like recently, I, was, uh, I, I had a day off and I was home, and, and I, I'm the kind of person, if I'm not busy, I, 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 like, I feel like lazy. I feel like unproductive. I, I'm antsy. And my wife told me, Megan said, like, you don't know how not to be busy. And, and it was an interest, interesting insight because it's not because I, like, I'm not saying that like I'm patting myself on the back, like I like producing and doing a lot of great things. I just, I love the veneer of busyness because it, it looks like I'm accomplishing much. And, and I wonder if that's true for us. I mean, do we actually like being busy? Because we like being distracted and taken away from more important, more significant things. And so, so a question, when we think about eliminating hurry, here, this is something that's been really helpful for me is that so often, and this is true in my life, is that when I say no to things, it's typically because I am busy. And what I want us to be, I want us to be a people who, who learn to say no, not just because we are busy, but to avoid becoming busy. You see, like, busyness is like the default. Like, well, unless you're, like, you're stressed all the time, like, what, what are you doing? But we need to learn to create margin, to say no to things properly, not just because we are busy, but to avoid becoming busy so that we might have margin in our lives for our family, for our friends, and for our neighbors. We can't be very faithful and fruitful if we are constantly spread thin because we don't know how to say no to things. And perhaps we don't know how to say no to things because we don't have the right priority. And, and then lastly, we need to learn how to plan intentionally. And, and what I mean by that is that if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the Son of God, if we take serious his claims and the eyewitness accounts of so many that have testified to his life, death, and resurrection, and if he is the greatest good as he is displaying himself to be in this parable, then we ought to make time for him, to know him, to walk in his ways, and to learn from him. And so, so maybe for some of you, that, that step is having some kind of, of Bible reading plan. And, and you know, if you're, if you're new to Christ Community, we have something called Open Here. Uh, there's a Bible reading plan on our monthly update. Uh, it's on our website as well. But maybe that's just the next step for you is to set aside time to be in God's Word, to understand who God is and, and how life is lived best in accordance with His design. Or, or maybe for some of you, you're like, like, I can't really set aside that much time, you know, that my mornings are crazy. And, and so maybe you don't have these big chunks of time. But that doesn't mean you don't have minutes throughout the day that can't be redeemed. I mean, think about like, I mean, how do we redeem the small minutes and moments in our day? I have a hard time believing that, that we all live our lives literally nonstop without any moments rest throughout the day. How do we redeem those minutes and those moments? What does it look like to pray at a stoplight? What does it look like to memorize scripture as you're walking from class to class? How do we redeem the moments throughout our day? And some of you might be thinking, my schedule is just too crazy. I'm too stressed out. I wake up and I'm constantly thinking about what's next. It's like, yeah, okay, I'm there with you. But rather than letting the burdens of our schedule and our calendars overwhelm us and keep us from prayer and communion with God, what if we allowed our burdens and our stresses to be our prayers? What, what if rather than being overwhelmed right as we wake up, but to pray through our calendar, to pray through our appointments, to pray through the situations and the things going on in our week, let our stresses and our burdens be what dictate and determine our prayers. But the last thing I would say that with, with, with planning intentionally is that 
we need each other in this practice. We, we need others to help us in this process of learning. How do we learn to say yes and no to the right things? We can't do that on our own. My voice should not be the only voice that defines and determines what I say yes and no to. We need each other. And so whether or not you're a Christian or not, like, I would encourage you, find a community, be a part of this church, join a community group so that you might be a, in a, a place with people who can help you identify what it is that I need to say yes to and what I need to say no to. Join with others who are seeking to identify the right priority in shaping and forming the rest of our lives. Well, as I mentioned, I, I, think, I think we all feel overwhelmed, we all feel stressed, we all feel overindulged and, and overworked. But again, the question is, is it possible that the reason we have such a hard time with time is because we don't know how to prioritize, and perhaps it's because we don't have the right priority. And I don't want to paint the picture here that, you know, if you do all these things, if you just believe in Jesus and follow him, life will be perfect and peachy, and you'll smile all the time, and your children will obey, and they'll never be bad. Like, I don't want to paint that picture. But what I do believe Jesus provides is the power and the vision to be able to look at life and see that unless God is chief in our hearts, everything else is going to be out of whack. There is an order to our loves, and we must set the first priority straight. And the reason I believe Jesus is the best priority is because while we so often replace him with lesser things, he replaced himself with us to give us the greatest thing, namely himself, namely life everlasting in his kingdom. Jesus is the greatest priority and an invitation to his banquet is an invitation to the life that we desire, a life in his kingdom that knows no ends. And so the question for us is, will we respond to his invitation? And will we make him our priority? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, as I stand up here, I, I confess to you that I have made my, myself my priority. Far too often, Lord, I am consumed with my own thoughts. I think about my own desires, my own wants, my own problems. I look at my face and hear my voice and think my thoughts more than anything else and anyone else. Lord, help me and help us to see that there is an order to our loves, that there is a sense in which we are to live for the greatest good, namely you, and Lord, help us to see that, that while that doesn't remove our problems, at least what that does is it gives us an understanding and a vision to see that life is meant to be lived with you and for you. And so Lord, would you push us closer in that direction, open our eyes to see that, and give us the wisdom and the guidance to be able to say yes and no to the right things so that we might order our loves and live for you our greatest priority. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, my, my hope and prayer uh, for all of us, wherever we may find ourselves in, in the journey of faith or in the spectrum of faith, uh, that we would honestly wrestle with this question, is, is what, what am I living my life for? What is the priority that shapes and forms and influences everything else? And is it something that gives us life or is it something that will eat us alive? And, and my hope and encouragement is, is really from, from Jesus' parables that he's presenting himself as that great priority his invitation to be a part of his kingdom 
is entering into the life that we long to live. And so as we leave this place uh, to go where, where God has called us and our places of influence uh, to be his representatives in this world, hear this word uh, from the end of the book of Hebrews is our benediction, our good word for the road. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.